Welcome to the Codependent Me Podcast. I'm Tamara Shaw, a recovering codependent, a codependent life coach, and the co-author of God Turned Mommy's Wine Into Water. This podcast was created to increase the awareness of codependency and to give a more holistic look at the journey and healing of codependence. Welcome to the Codependent Me podcast. I'm your host, Tamala Shaw. And today we have Tanya Joya with us. And I'm so very excited about this episode because she's going to talk about addiction. She's going to talk about recovery. And I'm just, I'm just excited because that's all about, that's everything in my life right now. So Tanya, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tamala. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate learning about the fact that, man, you're stepping off. You're yes, changing yeah. your whole profession so that you can really support people who are going through recovery. We yes. need more of you. Oh, thank you. I definitely. It's 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 scary, you know, to mm-hmm. jump out and do something that you haven't done full time. Um, you know, I've been at my corporate job for this particular job for 18 years. So it was kind of hard to say, eh, I'm going to go and I'm going to step out and just see what happens. Because of course, when I gave my resignation, I was like, where are you going? I was like, uh, really nowhere, but somewhere like, it's, I'm just <laughs> gonna you know, I'm going to try to be, I'm trying to do God's work and, and be the vessel and all of that. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it, it feels good though. It really does feel good. If God's got a plan, no use closing the door because he's just going to keep opening it. That's right. That's right. (laughs) But we, um, you reached out to me on Podmatch and I'm so grateful. So thank you so much for being willing to be on the show. That is so wonderful. Well, thank you. Of course. So tell us about, you know, about you and what do you do in this fantastic world of ours? So I did like you did. I had a job and one that I liked, but what happened was the contract ended. I called the people I coached with. I said, the contract's ending. What do I do? And they said, this is your golden parachute. Take your coaching to the next level. So my opportunity is to work with women who are supporting loved ones through recovery. And here, let me give you a little ditty about that. So we all know that if you, if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. If you mm-hmm. teach a man to fish, he eats for a lifetime, right? Yes. If you teach a woman to fish, she teaches the community Ooh. and expands the world. Yes. So yes. the the often forgotten part is for everybody who is recovering from addiction, and I look at addiction as being extremely broad, Anything that takes you away from the loved ones, the work and the joy that you have and causes you long term, it may cause you short term pleasure, but causes you long term pain and consequences can be considered addiction. So it doesn't just have to be substance. When you look at that, who is the person who stands by 99% of the time? It's mom, it's wife, it's grandma. You know, it is sister. Those are the people who stand by. So if we can give them skills, give them yeah. skills to change the environment because, um, Tamala, you know 
that the addict didn't come from out of nowhere. It's not like one day they just woke up and said, hey, I'm going to use drugs. There's some pain somewhere. And that connectedness normally, not that men can't do it, but our first sense of connectedness normally comes from the female in our family. Absolutely. So true. So true. And I love that. I completely love that because it is, you know, the, the women will, they will spread it and they'll teach the other members of the family how to do it, how to support the person that's recovering. I think that's absolutely wonderful. So, um, how long have you been doing this? So when did you step out? So I have been doing this full-time for a very short time, but I've been working in the area for about 20 years. I'll show you my, my Celebrate Recovery coin. I have, I have 20 years of recovery. Now that's between Al-Anon, Celebrate Recovery, Thrive, EMDR. You know, I've done a lot of work in this area. So I've been coaching people for over five years on the side. And it's only been recently that I've stepped out and said, no, I want to make this my full-time work because as we were talking before we started recording, this is so desperate. And uh, I'll put a little personal piece in there. I have 16 and 18 year old boys, no Mm -hmm. substance abuse there, no substance abuse there, praise Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I want to keep it that way. So the more that I can pour into the community, the more that's going to pour back to me. And that's why I do this. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful and so true because again, you know, you reap what you sow, right? Amen. Good stuff. So if there's someone listening right now and they have someone that's in recovery, Mm -hmm. um, no matter what the substance is um, or what the, thing is um how can they support their loved one well the first thing is to realize you're not powerless you're not powerless even though you feel that way the second step is when we think about it if we think about it like a pyramid correction is at the very top and i just want you to think about in your own life how often you have responded to correction So think very deeply about that. When somebody's corrected you at work, when you had a parent that corrected you, when a friend has corrected you, you probably didn't respond well. Right. Now think about how often you have responded to connection. When somebody's come next to you, put their arm around you and said, hey, I noticed some things are not going real well. Can we, can we talk about it? You got time for coffee? Can I make you a meal? There's Mm -hmm. such a difference. And believe me, uh, Tamala, I've tried everything from screaming, yelling, nagging, withdrawing affection, withholding paychecks, shooting guns off in the backyard. There's some things I'm not really proud of. I have tried all of those things. And if you're in this situation, you probably have gone to those normal things of correcting, nagging um, to, to the point of stonewalling, not talking to them or just getting really upset. How could you love me? All those types of things. If they worked, Tamala, if they worked, you and I would not be working with people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that you said correction versus connection. So in my head, because I was thinking about, because I always tell people, don't point fingers, give hugs. So 
pointing finger is the correction and the giving hugs is the connection. That's so good and so true. It's all about your approach and, you know, how you, how you handle, I shouldn't say handle, but how you respond to people. I think that's very, very important. I mean, when my mom was recovering, I mean, I told her if you stop, if you, you know, if you stay sober, I'll take you to Mexico. And I did. Mm -hmm. And then back and started drinking. (laughs) So, you know, it's, you, you cannot, you cannot use bartering and you, you know, it's, it's very, it's very different. You can't gift or, you know, like you said, be angry at them, you know, Mm -hmm. different Mm -hmm. way to deal with it. So let me ask you this. Hmm. If a person, if they, if a person has someone and they've started treatment, they've got the correction and the connection, they come home and their success, but then all of a sudden the person falls off the wagon. Let me, let me back up a step. So one of the things that happens is, and I've sat in enough Al-Anon meetings is, so the person goes away, say for 30 days, they go away. They're really working on themselves. The person at home is still doing everything they've been doing while the person was using, right? They're still changing the baby, going to work, making sure the bills get paid, making sure the garbage gets dumped, all those types of things. And when you've sat in rooms long enough, they're like, darn, they get to go away, but I'm still here holding the bag. So there's a lot of resentment. And that's something that needs to be worked on as that person is working on their own things. You know, I didn't get to go away for 30 days. I didn't get to have this downtime. I didn't get this quote unquote relaxation time. You and I both know that treatment is not relaxing. It has a lot of in-depth components. But as that person comes home, if you drop them right back in the situation they left from, Mm-hmm. There's high likelihood of relapse because right. their role in the family system was to be the person who was using. So if I can use, I've been using this analogy and see if this works for you. So in this country, at least we get all excited about a wedding. You know, we plan, it's a multi-million dollar industry. We have um, all these planners coming and you spend a lot of money and you have the cake and the party and the people and everybody shows up. What we don't plan for is the 50, 60, 70 years after the wedding. So when you, when somebody gets sober, it's that excitement. It's like, they're going to treatment. They're going to be sober. All our problems are going to go away. And I hate to break the truth to everybody is yes, it is the first step. It's necessary in a God-based marriage. You're going to have a wedding first. Sobriety is just like that. And it needs to stay intact, just like a marriage needs to stay intact. But guess what? Then you get to deal with life's everyday problems. And so that's why the design of just having a couple meetings or therapy sessions for the family, not really looking at the family, how the family is interacting. You've got this person with very gentle baby skin coming home. They can't handle a whole lot. Now, I, I'm not saying it's okay for you to go, okay, well, you get to just loll around on the couch. What I'm saying is to be really aware, just like me, just like other people I've worked with, I had a lot of issues I needed to deal with from resentment to justification, to anger, to sadness and grief over the years that the locusts had eaten. 
and some unawareness of my own trauma process in there. Exactly. And, you know, the person can come home and feel guilty as well. You know, like they through certain situations. So I completely agree. It's a situation where, like you said, the person is at home. Life is quote unquote normal for them while this other person is receiving this therapy. So when they come home, they're used to being dealt with a certain way. Mm -hmm. They're to whether it be being ignored because I've, I've ignored a person who was, you know, doing certain things. Um, But the person that's at home needs to understand how to navigate in their recovery. Hey, good people. Have you discovered that you have codependent characteristics and you're not really sure what to do with that? Well, I suggest that you go out and grab my workbook. It's called the codependent me workbook. You matter and your story matters. And it really walks you through healing from codependency. Talk about your goals, boundaries, detachments, bunch of journal entries, all the things that you need to get started. You can pick it up today at Amazon. Thanks so much. Bye. Yeah. They know how to have space and grace. Right. It's a different verbiage as well when Mm -hmm. that different patients. So to be able to give that, give those tools, that's a really, really important thing. Because the other thing is you have the person who has gone to recovery and they're really doing the work, but then you have those who come home. They may have gone to recovery because it was law, you know, ordered, right? Court ordered Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. they needed to save their job. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the person that's at home, they're thinking, oh, my goodness, they definitely went in and this is going to be a life change, you know, and all of that. And it's home and they're not really ready to do the work yet. Right. So that's why the people need to they need to know boundaries. They need to know how and when or if to detach. Because it all, it, everything is not on the other person. It's on themselves. The person within the addiction is on them to be dealt with a certain way. And the person at home, same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why I kind of went to, well, if they slip, right? Yes. That's one thing. But if they don't, that's something completely different. But both have to be taught to the families because you don't know what to expect when that person comes home. Right. It's so key because the person themselves doesn't know what to expect. A lot of this starts really young for them. So how do they know how a responsible adult behaves? How do Mm -hmm. they know how a mother or father cares for children or works in a relationship? The key, I think, that you said that is so important is this is for you as the other person in the relationship. And what we get caught up in is if they would just, if they would just stop doing this, it'll all be okay. That's why I liken it to the wedding. If they would just, if they would just, if they would just. Well, when you're pinning all your hope on somebody else to get their life straight, 
you may be waiting a long time. So as convoluted as it sounds, if I am not happy unless you're happy, then I'm constantly trying to either keep you happy or to figure out when you're going to be happy so that I can be happy. I've given away all my power. And that's what I said at the beginning. You're not powerless. You have given it away to somebody else. So regardless, in the big book, Al-Anon says this, I can be happy whether the alcoholic is drinking or not. That's a lot of responsibility because I've taken it back from you, which is exactly what the addict is doing in their recovery is they are not pinning their happiness on whatever their substance or ism is of choice. They've said, I can be happy either way. And then, man, we haven't even touched on, you know, dealing with resentments, dealing with forgiveness, dealing with self-forgiveness. All those, and you talked about boundaries. So there's a difference between, we talked about correction and punishment. There's a difference between correction and punishment and consequences. Absolutely, absolutely, for sure. Do you want to touch on that? Just so that the audience can be aware? Here's what I had to learn. Okay, it took me a long time to learn this. So I have babies at home, can't find husband at night. I want to know that he's home safe, that I don't have to scrape him off the road somewhere or something's not going somebody's going to call me. But I also have babies that get up at 6 a.m. So I'm spending time. Oh, many of you have been there. I'm calling friends. I'm calling the bar. I'm calling him. Nobody's answering all that kind of stuff. And I finally went to my Al-Anon group and I said, I can't do this anymore because I can't get up with the babies. And they said, oh, honey, boundaries are only things that you can control. I am not going to be able to control when my husband comes home at 200 pounds. Even if I found him, I'm not bringing him home, right? I'm not putting him in the car seat, strapping him in and saying, you're coming home with me now. So what they did was they said, a boundary is only something you can control. When do you need to go to bed? How do you need to set up the house so you feel safe? When do the kids need to go to bed? What do you need to ask of your husband, whether he complies or not is up to him. What do you need to ask of him so that you can get the sleep you need to take care of the things you need to take care of? That is when the light switch went on. And guess what? It was my first taste of not trying to control somebody else. Amen. And it's, there's beauty in it. It feels strange because you're so used to doing it. But once you do it, once you like strengthen that muscle, it's just, it's such a relief. It's like, ah, I control me. That's it. That's all I have to do. Oh my God. And you know, the only other thing is if you have a certain boundary, you just have to make sure that whatever that consequence is that you've placed on the table that you're strong enough to stand in that to not let you know roll over on you but I think that that's fantastic so if a person comes home of course there has to be conversations there has to be a sit down right what do you think that conversation should entail there's a couple ways to go about this. So what I teach in the, in the course that I work with people on is the first thing you need to think about, and we do a functional analysis in there, is timing, okay? If they're coming home drunk, if they're coming home using, if they're coming home so tired they can't hear you, 
That is the wrong time. You are wasting your breath. You are basically blowing into a balloon with a hole in it. You know, just stop it. Just stop. (laughs) So that timing is the key thing. Then as we talk about this in communication, it needs to be one thing. It needs to be very brief. It needs to be asked as a request. And then this is the hardest for my clients to take hold of. You need to take partial responsibility. And so in that scenario, what I said was, you know, I have to get up with the kids. I really request that you be as quiet as possible when you come in. I am taking responsibility for calling around, calling your friends, making a nuisance of myself. I'm going to stop doing that. And, um, here is how I am going to run my life. Now Mm -hmm. he didn't have to accept how I was running my life, right? He doesn't have to accept that. On the other hand, I don't have to run my life according to how he runs his either. Mm. And that's not, when you think about it, good boundaries, highly compassionate people, according to the work of Brene Brown, have very strong boundaries. That's why they can give so much. That's why they can be very compassionate. It's because they know who they are and they stand in their own authenticity. I love that. I completely love that. Oh my goodness. So secrets, you know, how people are (laughs) just thinking about my life. It's just full. It was just full of secrets. You know, you don't talk about the drinker or you don't let people know what's going on. My grandmother used to say all the time, what happens in my house stays in my house. So let's talk about how secrets can make you sick. This is a big one. So I have a personal rule for myself and I'll tell you what the rule is. And then I'll tell you how I got there. I fully believe that secrets make you sick. Now, secrets are different from surprises. Surprises are, hey, you know, we're going to do this for their birthday. We will let them know at the appropriate time. That's not a secret. Okay. That's something different. What my personal rule for myself is, and if you came to me, Tamala, and said, oh, can I tell you about this? I'm like, is it public knowledge? Is this something that I have to keep a secret? Is it gossip? So the Bible tells us very clearly not to gossip. So if somebody comes to me and says, I want to tell you this, but you can't tell anybody else. I'm like, "Mm, that's not, that's not something I can handle. Again, my boundary, that's not something I can handle when it becomes public or when it is okay to tell me that's fine. And, you know, as long as nobody's getting hurt, because if somebody's getting hurt and you're going to tell me, then, then I am going to deal with it. But I I shut it down immediately. It's kind of hard because there's, um, something that's called, I, I don't, I don't use this word. It's trouble bonding. And you can think of the other B word that goes with that. It's trouble (laughs) bonding. So, you know, when we're talking back and forth and we're bonding like this and we're like, oh yeah, you know, you know, you know, and it's the mean girl thing. And I just cut that out completely. Like if, if it's not appropriate for me to share with my preacher, my kindergartner and, you know, the, the neighbor down the street, then, then I don't need to know. So that's how I solved some of it for myself. Now, When you are in someone's house and they say, what goes on in this house stays in this house. 
as I have grown and learned, see, as adults, we have choices. As children, we don't. Yeah. I would say, hey, um, maybe, I, I, maybe I can't spend time over here, but I'd love to have you come to my house. Or right. maybe we could go out to dinner. You know, I'd yeah. love to have you over there because I'll tell you a very sad scenario. It, it gets, it makes children really confused because it, it, it's like, we don't do it as much anymore because we've got cell phones. It's like saying, oh, tell them I'm not here. That's a lie. But there's a right. deeper scenario of shame that says we as a family need to be ashamed of what is going on. Right. Now, if, if somebody in your family broke their leg, you wouldn't go, shh, shh, don't, don't, don't tell anybody. We're not going to the doctor. We're not doing that. I'm not saying you need to tell everybody everything, hmm, of right? Course. Mm-hmm. Not need to tell everybody everything, but if your family needs help, what do we tell our kids? If you need help, if somebody's, um, somebody's trying to harm you, molest you, do all those things, find a safe person to talk to, right? right? But now we're also saying, no, 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 don't tell anybody that daddy drinks too much on Sunday evening. Don't tell anybody that he passed out in the front lawn or that mama got real loud someplace. Don't tell him that. And the kid is going, okay, I'm not safe. You're not safe. How do I create safety? And then they're building the pain inside. They don't know who to share that with. And then they go to the neighbor's house and something really tragic happens, but they're not willing to tell anybody. I mean, you have set up the craziest rule system by doing that. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I'm glad that, you know, that you teach or coach on the opposite, because again, what do I tell? A child is not young enough or intelligent enough to say, okay, well, if I can't talk about that, what can I tell? Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's not, it's really, it's really all or nothing. So you're teaching them to not talk about anything. Right. And Lord knows I have been there. Cause like I said, that was something that my granny used to say all the time. Right. You know, it is very confusing as a child, you know, well, first of all, what is the secret? yeah what's what's the elephant in the room I don't know it's always been this way so I don't get it but somewhere in there the child is it's like parents who say well we're not telling the kids about the divorce and we're not telling them that this happened I worked in divorce court for over five and a half years like they know you don't have to tell them they they may not know the specific words or the legality of that but they know so now you've left them going what did I do that caused this? Because a child is so egocentric and he's supposed to be to get their needs met. They're saying, how did I cause this? How did I make this happen? What is it about me that you can't love? You think about the scars and the damage that got done with this. Absolutely. So in your work, I really want to get into the programs that you offer. So Mm -hmm. Someone is, you know, they have someone with an addiction, they've gone to uh, do their recovery and they come home and they say, you know what, in order for us to grow, we want to recover as a family. We need someone to talk to. And they call Tanya because Tanya is very, very good at this. (laughs) What does Tanya offer? (laughs) So I offer a couple different things. You can go a couple different ways. 
Um, the craft model is based on an uh, on an intervention model that says families are the experts. Given the tools, they can help their loved one get sober. So we can start there at moving them into treatment. My preferred is to work with you after recovery because here's what we found. And um, Tamala, this was really surprising. People get divorced after the recovery, not before. Wow. Because here's so the thing. For a moment, why? Well, okay. In a family, everybody has a role. And we've been playing this role, right? And even though we desperately want this sobriety and we think it will be better and we think it will solve all our problems, well, whoever it is shows back up and says, well, now I want to make decisions. Now I want to take responsibility. And most of us say, that's great. But what if they do decisions that you don't like? What if you have to work things out with them and you don't have the skills to do that? So in my own situation, I didn't marry my husband because I was well. I had things that still needed to be worked out. I had trauma bonds that still needed to be worked out. And so having a person who kind of said, okay, whatever you want, that's fine. I don't need to make decisions. Then he comes home and he wants to make decisions. Who are you? Why do you get to make decisions? so, So that's part of it. The other piece is, especially like we were talking about earlier, hey, maybe we've been using together. Maybe this is something we go to the bar every Friday night and now you don't want to do that anymore. How do we have fun together? I don't know how to do that. This is what I still want to do. So that's another scenario. And then then another piece of it is that the neither one of the folks in the marriage may know how to handle their feelings. So the person who has been handling their feelings with whatever ism they've been using is now suddenly raw. So when I say something that I've normally said and they can't manage it or um, they blow up back at me because anger's in there too, that I'm like, wow, what's going on here? You know, and, and the other thing we need to talk about this is your sex life will dramatically change because that had a lot to do with how your intimacy happened and without the social lubricants, without different things, it's very hard on men on how they're managing all this and can be really hard on women too. So you're not talking to each other. You're afraid of, of um, you're walking on eggshells because you're afraid of these emotions because you don't know how to handle them. And then the intimacy that you used to have you know, going out to the bar, coming home, whatever you did is not there anymore. They want to make decisions. I mean, it's a whole new world. And so for a lot of people, they just chalk it up to, I didn't marry this person. And no, you didn't. But here's the key. All marriages, all learned long-term marriages go through four to seven renegotiations over the time period that they are married. And this is just one of them. Wow. But a lot of people don't want to accept that at all. That change is so significant because the person is having to relearn how they are going to deal with the everyday stressors of life. Mm-hmm. The uh, spouse and the children are going to have to learn different ways that they're dealing with it. And I was just talking with another coach about the sobriety bottom. 
This yeah. is really interesting. Around year three or four, and it's scientifically proven, the person who has gotten sober, done all this work, looks around at their life and says, okay, I've done all this, but I'm not seeing all the fruits I wanted to see. I'm not as healed as I wanted to be. Why am I continuing to do this? So it's not unlike a dieting exercise plan of I've been doing all this, but maybe I'm not getting the, you know, the superwoman results or the exact things that I wanted. So they hit the sobriety bottom of I'm still feeling out of sorts and depressed and I haven't learned everything. That's another place that I can jump in is not only working with them, but working with the family and going, okay, maybe you haven't recalculated your dreams. Maybe you haven't looked at your goals that you want to achieve. Maybe Mm -hmm. you have been striving for so long that you haven't looked at what thriving really looks like. And there's a shift in that because none, I mean, we were not designed to be on this planet just to go to work, come home, eat our dinner, go watch TV, you know, go to a kid's game, come back. That's not what we were designed for. We all have gifts to give. My mother, she went through that. Uh, She said that she thought that when she was in her sobriety, that everything would be great. Everything would be perfect. All the things that was going wrong in her life would be lifted. All mm-hmm. of this, all of that would just, just kind of just go away. Right. And she said it was, it was difficult to understand that you have to continue to work. You have, like you said, once you get to a certain point, you have to recalibrate those goals and look at life a little bit differently to say, okay, I need to do this now. I want to do that now. Everything is not maybe as easy as you thought it was going to be. Once you stopped using or, you know, drinking or whatever, for sure. Oh, wow. So moving them. So while they're going into treatment, you can work with them then. And then afterwards, then you kind of go into all of this as well. Yes. With yes. And the person that that's in the addiction. So here's the thing from Bob Myers, who put together the craft program, the Biggest opportunity for long-term sobriety for the loved one is if the family chooses to deal with their issues either prior to or simultaneously. So this Mm -hmm. is what, when women call me, I say, you don't wait until the person comes home, your son, your husband, your brother, whatever. Don't wait until they come home. Start working on yourself now because you are already in a system that is dysfunctional. Your opportunity is while they are away or while you're an AA widow or whatever is going on, you have the opportunity to shift this dysfunction in a way that leaves a legacy. That's the key for women. That's why I told you the fishing story is how are you going to leave that legacy that none of the rest of your family members has to be bound to this? That is so beautiful. I've never heard it put that way. Leaving a legacy. Yes. Because that's what it is. That's completely what it is. That is absolutely beautiful. Uh, I can't wait. Think about what a woman's biggest focus is. If you look biblically, if you look at how we're wired, and I'm not saying women can't be successful, make millions, all this stuff. We can. 
but mm-hmm. our biggest capital is in relationship capital. And if you ask a woman who has been highly successful in her career, but her family fell apart, what is she going to grieve the most? And, and really a man is going to too, but a woman is so connected to how the family is doing. You can wake up in the morning and lay in your bed and go, all right, I'm feeling the house. Mm -hmm. I'm knowing who's where I'm knowing what's going on, what needs to happen today. We are that connected to everything that's going on in our household. Mm -hmm. That's so true. That's so true. So if we have someone that is needing this particular work, how can they contact you? So there's several ways to do this. So I have a rise above addiction Facebook group. We pray for each other. I do live trainings in there. You can reach out anytime. Hop on that rise above addiction. We'll leave links for you. Then you can also pick up on my website, which is T-A-N-Y-A-G-I-O-I-A.com, Tanya Joya. You can also pick up an email sequence of all of those live trainings because I don't know about you. But, um, Tamala, before I hire a coach, I really kind of investigate them. <laughs> and I'm like, who is this person? What do they actually stand for? What's going on there? So that'll provide you with a series of seven trainings. You really get to know where I'm coming from, what I'm all about. And then let's hop on a call together. I'm not discouraging you from hopping on a call right away, which every social media platform I'm on will have that. But maybe check out and see if I'm the right person for you. Because I am biblically based. I'm not going to go against God's word. Um, I am also really grounded in the fact that none of us are getting out of this alive. And if you look at the prodigal son, the prodigal son comes back to the prodigal God. They embrace. They have a party. They do all these things. Who gets left out in the cold? The righteous older brother. So if you are stuck in religiosity, if you are stuck in, but I'm right and they're wrong, come see me and let's talk about that. Because releasing that you from that will change your whole life. Because as you said earlier, we all are going to fall down. We're all going to scrape our knees. We're all going to bang our head. You know, (laughs) none of us are left perfect. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is so beautiful. Tanya, thank you so much for being on the show. This well, has been I can't thank you enough. So good. And I, I pray that we can get some people that will, you know, get, if, if nothing else, go on the website in order to hear your trainings, because you can tell that you've done a lot of work and you have helped a thank ton you. of people. You are such a joy. Oh my goodness. And I honor the work that you do because it is definitely needed. So I think. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So if you could say one more thing to the audience, just, just the takeaway, what would it be? What we were talking about earlier, that the opposite of addiction, she got addiction over here, according to Gabra Mate, who's doing great work in this area is connection. So the old model of tossing them out, saying, if you do anything, we can't deal with you. All of those types of things is not there. What we're working with in craft is reduction of harm and increasing the connection. 
because that's what they're needing. They want to be loved. They want to be connected. They want out of this pain. And if we just say, we can't deal with you anymore, where, what are they left with? Right. And where's that fair? I don't want to be, I don't want anyone to give up on me. So absolutely. who am am I to give up on anyone? That's right. That's right. Mm, Good stuff. Well, thank you so much. And I would like to tell the audience I know that you can choose any podcast, but you chose this one and I'm grateful. And until next time, I want you to know that you matter and your story matters. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Bye. I understand that nothing is more valuable than your time. So thank you for listening. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Codependent Me. And check out my website at codependentme.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day.